is anxiety funny? Of course. Anxiety is very funny. Okay. It's really funny because it's like, you'll see something like a spider and that'll make you want to shit your pants. Like, that's funny. It's Depression Mode. I'm John Moe. I'm glad you're here. We talk to a lot of creative people with mental health challenges on this show, and it's about to happen again. And a lot of times I find myself wondering if the mental health issue can be both an obstacle and an inspiration. Like, of course, it's an obstacle. No one would choose anxiety or depression. No one signs up for obsessive compulsive disorder because it sounds really great. No, these things create problems. We know this. But I'm often really fascinated by the art made by someone who's lugging a mental condition around. I'm fascinated and I'm comforted. It often makes me feel understood. It makes me like humanity. It's inspiring. And those are good feelings to have. Lisa Hanawalt deals with anxiety and depression and panic attacks, has for a long time, and she creates characters who deal with a lot of that stuff too, in ways that are sometimes hilarious and sometimes deeply moving. And those characters are often birds and horses who talk and worry and have jobs and houses and bills to pay. That's Lisa Hanawalt's world. She was one of the creators of BoJack Horseman, an animated show on Netflix about a talking horse who's a former sitcom star. On that show, BoJack has lost everything and tries to put his life back together. It's one of the most honest depictions of depression that I've ever seen, even though it's a cartoon talking horse. Or maybe because it's a cartoon talking horse? I'm not sure. Go watch BoJack Horseman. Lisa Hanawalt is also the creator of Tuca and Birdie, an animated show currently on Adult Swim about birds trying to deal with life and with their own minds. It has more wisdom, gravity, and honesty than you see in most TV shows, and it's also a cartoon show about birds. I mean, it's about people, of course, but the people are birds. In this clip, Birdie, played by Ali Wong, talks to her best friend Tuca, played by Tiffany Haddish. Birdie speaks first. I need a professional, Tuca. You know, if your car's broken, you go to a mechanic. Well, my brains are broken. Speckle plan this nice anniversary dinner tomorrow night, and it, it should be no big deal, but even that's giving me gut cramps and beak sweats. I just need to see a good drink for, like, a session or two. Then boom! No more panic attacks. Easy! Aw, I thought I was your panic mechanic. I can't always rely on you. Plus, you're busy going on all of your dates. Online dating sucks. I can't encapsulate my raw, enigmatic allure in a profile. I don't need more love. My heart is like a training bra. You can only fit so much titty in there. I already love you so much. I don't have space in my heart for anyone else. Lisa Hanawalt, welcome to Depression Mode. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. I'm glad. Um, I'm excited. This is, a, to... this is a podcast about the band Depeche Mode, right? Yes. It is a, it's about Depeche Mode and misspelling, I think. Great. I'm yeah. a big fan of both. Extraneous letters. <laughs> You're a longtime close personal friend of anxiety. You two go way back. <laughs> Are we friends? We're frenemies. Well, 
companions, at least, co-workers for a long time. How far do you go back with the condition we know as anxiety? Oh, I mean, I can't remember a time when I didn't have some sort of uh, neurotic <laughs> fear. Not to label it in a mean way, but, you know, I've kind of always been this way. Yeah. Like anxious kid? Yeah. Yeah. Just sort of, uh, just kind of upset about various things. Didn't like air conditioning when I was a baby. Apparently would burst into tears if we entered any space it was air conditioned. You know, just stuff like that. Just like a sensitive kiddo. Uh-huh. What's the earliest you remember feeling something like that and, and recognizing it as anxiety? Oh, that's a great question. I don't know, because it's always been so hard for me to separate like what is an actual threat versus mm -hmm. what is just my body or brain overreacting to stimuli or something. You know, I don't I don't really know. You know, maybe it's just, you know, in comparison to other kids, like being a little more easily upset. Yeah. <laughs> During uh, PE or something. I don't know. <laughs> what like. And, and we won't stay in your childhood forever, I promise. But um, oh God, please! Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what are some things growing up that, besides the air conditioning as a baby, but what are some things as a, you know, junior high and high school um, that you remember kind of fixating on? I mean, you know, for for example, like I was like a, a horse girl for sure, and I loved horses and I loved riding them, but I would keep quitting because I would get scared. And instead of, you know, bouncing back from any accident or bad thing that happened, um, I would just quit because I just couldn't handle it. And I would sort of spin out thinking about all the scary scenarios that could happen. But then I'd go back to it a few years later and then I quit again. You know, I think I think that's a example of my anxiety really holding me back from doing something I wanted to do. Were you scared of something bad happening physically or not succeeding as a, you know, as a competitor or what? I think both, but mostly, yeah, I didn't want to fall off. I didn't want to get, you know, I didn't want to break a bone. When did you start illustrating and drawing as a as a thing that you also recognized you were doing more than, than other people? Oh, I mean, I was doing that when I was like five, six years old. Um, I started making comics when I was like six or seven, and I drew during class all the time. Um, some teachers were really not cool with that and some teachers were, but either way I wouldn't stop. For me, it was like a way to focus and and kind of, you know, if, if I'm busying my hands and I'm fidgeting, then I'm not so, uh, you know, spacey and, and nervous. Like it, it really kind of helped me during school, I think. Yeah, I was gonna ask if, if it was a way of treating the anxiety. So is, what, did it make you more able to focus on like what was happening in class or did you just drop out of what was happening in class to concentrate on the drawing? I mean, my teachers would argue that I was dropping out, <laughs> that I wasn't paying attention, but I think drawing helped me pay more attention because I could listen, you know, while my, my hands were busy. I don't know. Like I've never been officially diagnosed with like ADD or anything, but it, maybe it's like a, a form of that where I needed to kind of do those, those two things at the same time. Cause if I was just sitting there not drawing, like, I don't know, I think I would have, lost my mind. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> it's just too, I can't sit still and not do anything. Huh. So what was, what did drawing offer that horses didn't really <laughs> offer? Did it just, you couldn't fall off a drawing? Was it as simple as that? Oh yeah. I mean, drawing, like the worst thing that can happen is you get really frustrated when the image doesn't look like what you pictured in your head perfectly. Uh -huh. And I, that did really frustrate me as a kid, but the more I drew, the more the image would kind of match what I desired. 
And I got quite good at it very early on. And I became known for like being the girl who draws. I mostly drew horses, of course, um, but I branched out later. Yeah, I kind of, I thought I was going to be like a, a veterinarian, but the more I, as I aged, I got better and better at drawing and it just became like, oh, clearly you're going to be an artist. This is what you are. It's amazing. All, all those sort of paths stretched before you are are so prototypical. Like, will you be a horse rider or a veterinarian or will you draw for a living? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> could you be an be- astronaut or a ballet dancer perhaps? I never could have. No, <laughs> not from, from the beginning. I never, I never would have been able to, I did take ballet. I was terrible at it. <laughs> <laughs> astronaut. Never. I would never want to go to space. Yeah. And then I'm so lonely. <laughs> So you, you've never been diagnosed with with ADD or ADHD, you said, but have you ever been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder? Yeah, I've had doctors tell me I generalized anxiety or, or panic attack disorder or, you know, various things. I feel like they're just, I don't know, it's, it's when they don't know what else is wrong with me. And so they kind of like just label it as such. And I've, yeah. And how far back does that go? When did that start? How far back does that go? I mean, mostly in high school, I think I started seeing a few doctors because I was having trouble with my with my guts. Like I was having a lot of like IBS and stuff, which comes with anxiety. Yeah. Um, and we were trying to figure out if there was like something physically wrong with me or if it was just my brains. Uh-huh. I, I feel like I read something where you said that if it wasn't for your IBS, you wouldn't have the career that you have. Does that sound <laughs> right? A, that is a joke. That I like to make. Okay. I feel like it goes with a certain personality type or, I don't know, or like, you know, I make a lot of work about my body and about bodily pains and bodily functions, so. (laughs) It's a way of doing research. Yeah, I don't know. I think, yeah, in a way, the the kind of body you have, like, dictates what kind of art you make, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if I believe in that. (laughs) (laughs) When did all the drawing become sort of focused around, I guess, animals and then animals that had people parts or people who had animal parts? Oh, that was the case from the very beginning. So when I was like really, really little, I was making drawings of animals walking and talking and wearing patterned sweaters. Why? Um, I don't know. Why not? I mean, I loved animals. I love looking at them and thinking about them. And the kind of stuff I like to read and watch had animals. Like I loved Garfield. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I loved uh, Ren and Stimpy. So, I mean, yeah, it just felt very natural to me. I never questioned it. Animals that that uh, had a sense of self, that were, that were yeah. cognizant enough of their world like, like humans, I suppose. Yeah. And when I'm making work that is very personal or autobiographical, drawing myself as an animal as a way to like distance it a little bit so that it's not like I'm flaying open my flesh for my audience to see, you know, I, I need to separate it just a tiny bit. And and so drawing myself as a bird or a horse or whatever is one way of doing that. You grew up in Palo Alto, is that right? Bay yeah. Area? Okay. And then you were in high school with Raphael Bob Waxberg from, yeah, from Bojack. Yeah, and middle school. We weren't friends until we were in high school, but yeah, we, we went to school together for quite a while. Was he drawing as well, or was that mostly you? No, he was an actor. So he was like, like even in middle school when we weren't friends yet, I knew him because he was starring in all the like children's theater plays. And oh, okay. then when we got to high school, I started doing theater, and that's how we became friends, is he cast me in a one-act play he directed. 
called The Family Continues. It's like a really surreal play. Um, and we started hanging out in the green room, like between classes. And I would doodle in my sketchbook and he would like, like improvise little voices to go along with my doodles. And uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, maybe that's a path to kind of follow to, to where you are today, which I mean, that, that high <laughs> yeah. school was a long time ago, but I, I, there's, a, there's a thread there, I think. Yeah. I mean, we're basically doing the same stuff now, doodling and, and improvising Making characters funny to go voices. along with them. <laughs> basically. Yeah. I just want people to understand before I get into some more of the, uh, the the deep psychological questions. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Sorry. So with Bojack Horseman, did that come about with the two of you kind of pitching that together? Or did he call you up and say, hey, will you design all these characters? Or what was the process there? He had been coming up with this idea and he sort of, he'd been looking at my drawings and he kind of based the main character on like this drawing, these drawings I was doing of this horse guy. And then he he showed my drawings in a pitch meeting and then he told me that he did that. And I was like, wow, that's cool. Um, And then it sort of developed organically from there where he asked me to then design the characters. Did he say, okay, this Mr. Peanut Butter is a dog and he needs to to look like this. I mean, or did, were you part of designing who those characters were too? Yeah. I mean, well, uh, Raphael had had done most of the legwork in deciding who the characters were, like as people, like he knew who Mr. Peanut Butter was and what his attitude was. It was just a matter of like finding the right look. And I think we knew he was going to be a golden retriever. <laughs> and then it was just working with him and the producers at Tornante, the company that was producing the pilot. Um, and just a lot of phone calls. We were like, okay, Princess Carolyn... Oh, she's pink. Okay. Yeah. We like that. We like that she's pink. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was just, I was just pitching a lot of different stuff for the look of them. And we narrowed it down. I, I reached out to Raphael a few years ago because, you know, I was hosting a show. I mean, this show that I'm doing now is about all sorts of mental health issues. That one was exclusively about depression. And people mm-hmm. would say, well, you need to talk to this guy because he. <laughs> Is obviously knows depression so well to make this well, and the show. Original, the original title of the show was Bojack the Depressed Talking Horse. <laughs> and then we just changed okay. it to Bojack Horseman. But yeah, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> but then I, so I did reach out to him and I, and I said, hey, I want to talk to you about this because, you know, I'm talking to people who have dealt with depression for this show. And uh, obviously you've been depressed, so you know how to write this. And he said, oh, no, John, I, I've never been depressed. I'm fine. Um, he, he said, you know, if people want to understand depression, I've been sending them over to you. So no, I, I, I can't do that interview. So I know that you have said that, that you've dealt with depression. Were you the secret saddie in the room for BoJack all this time? Oh, no, no, definitely not. I mean, you know, they had a whole room full of writers and I'm sure there's, there were some <laughs> depression in there. I don't know. I mean, maybe, I think Raphael probably has had a bit of depression, but you know, I'm not one to talk about that. Um, yeah, I don't know. The secret saddie. <laughs> the secret saddie. Yeah. The, the ace up the sleeve. No. And how far back do you go with depression? I would just have periodic phases when I was a kid where I would just be really, really sad. It was just felt like the weight of the world was on me and I was so young that it really alarmed my parents. Like I remember, well, I don't remember this, but they told me that when I was like four or five, I, I asked my dad, like, why do people even bother living when there's so much sadness in the world? And he was like, Whoa, kid. Um, (laughs) 
Oh my God. Lisa was four years old, but a child prodigy at depression. Depressing at a very advanced grade level. Gifted, really. Well, cursed. More Lisa Hanawalt in a moment, including roller skating, panic attacks, geese, and perfectionism. Besides creating and running the show, Lisa also does the voice of a not very helpful HR lady on Tuca and Birdie. Here, Birdie comes to talk to her. Uh, a co-worker made a super gross comment about my body. Eesh, who did that? Um, it was dark. Oh, he's cute. Lucky you. <laughs> well, he probably meant it as a compliment. Best to not spread this around. It could make our company look bad, so... Could you maybe talk to him about proper office behavior? <laughs> that sounds like an awkward convo. Isn't that your job? Shh. Here's a pamphlet. Hey, Brennan. Brennan. Hey, Brennan. I hope and I suspect Brennan is kind of looking around the room right now, kind of confused, like, is, is he talking right to me? Brennan, yes, hi, you are awake, and I am talking to you because I have a message from your mom. And it goes like this. I am ridiculously proud of how far you have come in your mental health journey. You are kicking your demons' asses and morphing into an incredible, smart, strong, beautiful adult human before my eyes. You continue to amaze me, and I hope you know I love you to the moon and back. Love always. Mama. That's to Brennan from Mom. This part is to Brennan from me. Good going on the demon ass kicking there, Brennan. And good news. Uh, that's great to hear about being loved to the moon and back. Because, you know, lots of folks will love you to the moon, but not back. And then you're just stuck on the moon. Loved, but, you know, on the moon. So good work, Mom. This has been a Depression Mode Maximum Fun Jumbotron message. You can buy one too to send a message to whomever you please to say what needs to be said to someone by me from you. Go to MaximumFun.org Jumbotron. Back with Lisa Hanawalt. When last we left Lisa, she was a preschooler asking her parents why people bother to go on living. So I think they probably sent me to a psychiatrist or something. But um, yeah, I've just had um, kind of moments of, of deep sadness that are very cyclical. Are these things, the anxiety and depression, are these things that you continue to manage? Or are these things that, that somehow came and went? Oh yeah, it's definitely, I feel like I need a lot of support and, and I need to have a lot of structure in my life or else things kind of start to unravel. Like luckily I've, I've gotten better as I've gotten older. Um, sometimes I feel like, oh my God, I'm almost 40 and I still don't know how to manage this stuff. But I, but I do, like it's way better than it was like in my 20s. I need a lot of, you know, I need to like exercise, I need to eat right, I need to do yoga. Like there's so many little things that, that help and they're exhausting. I wish I didn't have to do any of them. <laughs> is there anything, and this is just a, a sort of side thing that I'm al always interested in. Is there anything that you have found that is just totally weird, off the beaten path? You don't know anybody else who does it, but that helps you when, when times are tough with, with depression or anxiety? 
I mean, most of it's like the very boring stuff that you would expect. Honestly, there is not like a secret. It's just like, yeah, I have to exercise whatever that exercise is. I mean, for me, I get really bored. Um, I don't, I don't like to work out, but if I find something that's fun, like roller skating, it's something I started um, during the pandemic and it really brought me a lot of joy and relief from, you know, the depression, anxiety that <laughs> came with last year. Horseback riding, that's a big one. Making art is really important to me. <laughs> All those things. Do you do art outside of your work art to just have fun? Do you do something that is nothing like Tuca and Birdie, nothing like your books, just for laughs? I think all of my work, you could probably connect to Tuca and, and my books um, thematically. Like, you know, it, it looks like my work, but sometimes I, I do sometimes do like a craft project that I'm not particularly good at. Like I'll, I learned how to do like yarn weaving. Yeah. Sometimes you need to do something physically to like, you know, if you're burnt out drawing two dimensionally or something. Yeah, I have, a, I have a comic about one time when I started making these clay fingers and they were really creepy and I just didn't know why I was making them and I couldn't stop. And But it was like important to do it. I don't know why. What is yarn weaving? Like what, what exactly is that? Um, it's like uh, you have a loom and you kind of weave yarn through and oh. you can either do like really abstract stuff or you can you can kind of, you know, you can make images like a tapestry if you are really careful about it. And so what do you make? I just made a few like wall hangings. Uh, I'm not very good at it. And, you know, I'll do one and then I'll get tired and quit for like another year and then I'll go back to it. But um, it is like, I like any art making that's sort of passive, you know, where you can like watch a TV show while you do it. Uh -huh. Like if I'm, if I'm writing, you know, for the show or I'm making comics that have like a structure and a story, I can't zone out and like, you know, watch a movie while I make it. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I find that a lot of people, uh, especially creative people who are dealing with depression or anxiety, have a hard time finding hobbies, have a hard time finding <laughs> things that they like to do that doesn't have any professional implications. Like I, I, yeah, that's my problem with hobbies is I always like beat myself up for not being good enough at them because I, I want to like maximize my, you know, ability at everything I do. And it's like, well, no, I don't have to be good at roller skating. Like right. that's not going to be my career. I don't have to be good at piano, but you know, it's just, these are things I do to relax. And then I find a way to make them not relaxing. <laughs> Wouldn't it be amazing though, if you did go professional with roller skating? I mean, I can only dream. I'm, I don't <laughs> think it's in the cards, but <laughs> I don't even know what, what professional roller skaters would be, but, um, Oh, there are a few. Are there? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Now, now I'm now I need to start roller skating and get as good as them, or I'm a complete failure. Uh, <laughs> oh God! Please don't, please don't put that on yourself. <laughs> no, no, no real threat of that. What do you think it is that stops you from just saying, "Ah, I'm gonna do this for fun. I'm gonna suck at it," you know, or not and not worry about it? What What is getting in the way there? I think a lot of the things that have brought me success in what I do are also um, have also brought me pain. Like I'm very, very hard on myself. I'm not, you know, I'm not a complete perfectionist, but I, I do tensely want to control every little bit of, of things I work on. Um, yeah, I just, I, I'm like a workaholic in some ways. Um, and that's, I, I think that that has, led to, you know, that's the led to good things in, in my career. But, um, but yeah, it's not always good. Sometimes you gotta, 
let go. Did you just say I'm not a perfectionist, but I want to control every little thing about? <laughs> well, I don't know. I feel like I feel like if you watch my show, like there are things about it that are not that are like sloppy or like, you know, not completely controlled. And then that's OK. I mean, maybe that's only something a perfectionist would say. I don't know. Whenever I watch it, I just know I like notice little mistakes or like things I could have done better. Or, you know, OK, maybe I am. <laughs> well, what I what I like about about Tuca and Birdie, I want to back up and get to the origin of Tuca and Birdie here in a second. But one of the things I like about it is the relative chaos that's going on in a scene, like the mm-hmm. the background gags and the you know the background items and the poster that says "Yes, birds can ski." <laughs> and yeah, it, it's inter- because it it does seem like that the vision that's guiding it is open to distraction and open to divergence. You know, it feels very collaborative. So I like that the background designers and art director and storyboard artists are adding in all these little things. And there's just layer upon layer of like, you know, weird, weird details and like tangents and and things. I think it it makes it fun to rewatch for me, at least. How did Tuca and Birdie get started? Well, I, I... I was doing this web comic for Hazlitt. They asked me to do one and I said, okay, how about Tuca? She's a toucan um, because I'd been watching this nature documentary about toucans where they were stealing other birds' eggs and eating them. And I felt very, uh, I felt a kinship with that. Um, <laughs> so I, it was very much myself as a toucan, but like kind of my id, you know? The Wait, well, hold, of- hold, hold on. A uh, <laughs> couple questions. What's, ha- what's Hazlitt? Oh, Hazlitt, uh, it's a, like an online magazine. Okay. And more importantly, why did you feel like a bird that was stealing and eating other birds' eggs? I feel like on the inside, I can be very selfish and like hoard, I hoard food. Like whenever I make food at home, I always make it for myself. I don't like think about making any for my partner. I've, I've changed. I've gotten better at this, but I'm just not. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think Tuca was like a lot of my sort of selfish, childlike, impulsive, uh, bratty qualities. Uh Like my kind of, you know, some of my extroverted qualities that not everyone sees, you know, I I put that all into her. In some ways, she's what I wish I could be more like, you know, um, the way I wish I could say things publicly, you know, she's, she's a lot of different things put together. Um, So yeah, she just uh, kind of popped right off the page. And then during Bojack, Raphael asked me if I had any TV show ideas because he was looking to develop things that were new. Um, and so for a couple of years, we just kind of talked about what my TV show could look like. And first it was sort of like a one woman anthology with lots of like different parts. And then we really kind of focused more and more on Tuca and decided she needed to have a friend, Birdie. And I'd made this comic um, with Birdie and Speckle in it called Planting, where this couple is buying a new house and then she keeps filling it with more and more plants and she's kind of obsessive and she's using the plants to like push him away emotionally. And so that turned into Birdie and Speckle. You've drawn yourself as a bird in the past that looks a lot like Birdie, right? Uh, I tend to draw myself as like kind of a goose with a top bun. (laughs) So kind of like a noodly bean shaped bird head. Oh, okay. Doesn't really look like me, but like something about the silliness of it with a little like sausage lip beak, you know, I just kind of feel like it represents me and how I feel. (laughs) So is it more like the HR lady on Tuca and Birdie? Oh yeah, maybe. Yeah. A little bit like her, but if she had a top bun. (laughs) 
Do you normally wear a top bun? Um, I did when my hair was longer. Yes. Okay. Okay. It's funny when you know when I was when I was googling Lisa Hanawalt mental to <laughs> to get a grip on. <laughs> I'm talking to I love your research process. You know, I'm I'm college educated is the thing. And so I'm it's very it's very complex. And I and I kept seeing anxiety. I'm like, oh, okay, well obviously she's Birdie. That's who yeah. that's who represents her. And I would imagine a lot of people think that, but but what do you think? Are you one or the other? Are you both? I'm both. Or neither? And I'm neither. Yeah. Um, you know, they've they've grown since we created them and they've taken on a life of their own. Um, I have birdie qualities, but I also have Tuka qualities. My my partner would definitely say that I, I have some Tuka qualities. <laughs> <laughs> he knows me best. Um but yeah, I like to joke that, you know, our writer's room is full of birdies. <laughs> Something I really like about about Birdie in particular and, and, and Tuka as well, but I, I notice it right away with with Birdie is that you'll take something like anxiety, like she is an anxious young bird woman, and then it plays out in the results of, of her life. You know, there, there's things that happen, the events of her life, the ramifications of her decisions are colored by that anxiety to make it so much more than just a like, oh, she's nervous about things and then she's going to do whatever we tell her to do anyway. Uh, how conscious of a choice is that to really inhabit the reality of of living with something like anxiety? I mean, it's such a big part of her character that when I plop her into a new situation, I have to think about how that's going to affect how she plans for that situation and how she reacts to, you know, things that are happening. Like, you know, if she goes on a trip to Plateau, she's going to take a big ass purse full of all kinds of nonsense just because she wants to be prepared for anything that would happen. And that's, you know, definitely something I do and, and friends who are anxious would do is just, you just pack too much stuff just mm-hmm. in case. She brings a can opener, as I recall. She does, you know, and even when she goes to the grocery store, she's going to pack a lot of stuff just in case. And she's going to have a panic attack at the grocery store for no reason. It was a hard thing to explain when pitching the show is that she's she's not anxious because of any particular thing that made her anxious. You know, you could you could point to things in her past and say, well, maybe it's because this happened to her when she was a kid, but maybe not. You know, maybe she just is anxious and she was born that way. I don't think it needs to be explained necessarily. What have been your experiences with panic attacks? When when have you had them? What do they feel like? What are the circumstances? Oh, they're awful. I mean, they just feel terrible because they kind of they seem like they come out of nowhere. And like, you know, I've, I've learned to identify some potential triggers that might lead to, you know, might lead me to feel that way. But but yeah, once once they're happening, it's it's so hard to stop them in their tracks. Um, so sometimes you just need to ride it out and like go through the whole physical, emotional experience of having a panic attack and. Ugh, it's exhausting. What are those physical and emotional experiences for you? Because they're different for different people. Oh yeah. I mean, it just feels like it feels like I'm dying. Like it just it's it's awful. It feels like something that comes from my body and my brain just tells me that I'm in trouble and that, you know, it's like all the alarms are going off. And it feels like I need to, you know, if I'm indoors, it feels like I need to run outside and leave the situation. Um and it just feels totally irrational, which feels bad because I consider myself to be a very rational person. But yeah, it's it's not great. <laughs> 
And then, you know, I kind of like shut down. It makes it hard for me to be able to talk. So it's hard for me to talk about what's happening to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been fortunate enough. I've had two panic attacks ever. And oh, wow. I know I won the lottery on that one. But when, when I would have one, I, w- I wouldn't think, oh, this is a panic attack. I would think I'm about to die inexplicably. Yeah. I am about to drop dead. And only yeah. like in some cases, months or years later, would I say, oh, that's a panic attack. Have you, have you been able to recognize them when they're happening? Yes. Um, yeah, it gets easier to recognize them and to, you know, I mean, I've had panic attacks while I've been like on stage, you know, like on a panel, like talking about the show. Um, I've definitely had full panic attacks while up there and nobody's noticed because I'm able to like, kind of go through it and talk myself down, you know, to the point where I don't have to like run off the stage screaming. Um, (laughs) But it, it feels awful. And it feels like it definitely comes with this, like a metaphobic fear that I'm going to like barf all over myself, which has never happened. Um, Or that my heart's going to stop or that, you know, I'm just going to pass out all those things that never actually happened, but it's really scary. Uh, It happens sometimes when I'm driving. Um, which sucks. Like I, uh, when I'm driving really fast on the freeway, sometimes I'll have a panic attack, which is just the worst. (laughs) What do you do? Um, I find a place to safely pull off the freeway. Like take an exit off the freeway or pull off on the shoulder. I take an exit. Um, I've never had to pull onto the shoulder yet. It sucks though, because while I'm panicking, I start to get like tunnel vision and stuff, which is really scary when you're going really fast and there's cars zooming all around you. So it's something I'm trying to deal with right now because I hate it. I I hate that it feels limiting in what I can do. So I've been purposely like driving on the freeway to expose myself Wow. so that it doesn't get worse. And what's your plan if it happens not on the freeway, if it happens in that panel you're talking about or around the house or whatever? I don't know. I don't really have a plan. Like I just... I know that it's happened before, so I can get through it. I'm not literally going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess even if I did barf all over myself, it would be a funny story later. So <laughs> that's all right. It's mostly just that it physically feels really awful. I used to have them more. And then, you know, they I have less when, I, when I'm careful with, like, my diet and I, you know, exercise enough and, and take care of myself, honestly. Oh, is it, is it like, nutrition- based in some cases like if, if you're out of whack with what you're taking in yeah i find that a lot of my you know emotional state comes from how my gut is doing which makes sense because you know a huge amount of serotonin and and all those things are produced in the gut so there's a real connection mm-hmm. so yeah i have to i have to take care of that is there any warning sign when they're coming when they're coming before they arrive Yes. Um, yeah, I can, I can start to feel myself like dissociating a little, like it's almost like I'm kind of leaving my body and floating above it. Or like I start to feel like kind of clammy hands or, you know, there's, there's all kinds of physical symptoms. Yeah. I mean, given, given that and given anxiety, does it, does it seem odd to you that you've, that you've, reach this place where you are a, a TV show creator and runner and <laughs> making something that, that has some, some memoir quality to it here and there, I'm sure. And, and putting yourself out there like that, even if it is in the form of two birds, does that make you feel 
like dangerously exposed or are you able to handle that okay? I handle it okay. I mean, it is kind of bizarre that I've like um, sought out this, you know, career where I have to be public facing and like do interviews and, uh-huh. and public speaking, which I really don't enjoy. Um, <laughs> Welcome to the show, Lisa Hanna. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm having fun now, okay, but um, you know, I don't want to be, I never want to be talking on a stage, but sometimes I have to, uh-huh. but I deal with it. Okay. It's gotten easier over the years as I've gotten used to it and know, okay, I'm not literally going to die. I'm going to get through it. I've, I've had experiences where I've like broken out in full body hives before going out on stage and it's still fine. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you, you mentioned serotonin and, and these things coming from the gut and the nutrition stuff. Mm-hmm. It occurs to me that on Tuca and Birdie, there is a lot of eating. Eating is is very central. I mean, I suppose it's oh, central yeah. in any culture, but but uh, with the bakery stuff and yeah, there's always people eating. I really like eating. I think it's great. I love food. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan of of eating. It's the best, both isn't to it? to live and to enjoy myself. <laughs> so Tuca and Birdie is the story of two best friends and one of their boyfriends uh who's very very nice and accommodating yeah but it's about this intimate relationship which allows it to be really honest about what these people are going through and their their struggles and and their victories and their and their you know defeats are you trying to be instructive about mental health on the show are you trying to tell your story or are you just imagining things and illustrating I'm mostly just imagining things that are, you know, a lot of them are based on my life. A lot of the stories come from the writers in the room. And I'm kind of just picking at what interests me. Mm -hmm. I don't want my show to seem like an educational show or like a prescriptive show in any way. Or like, you know, I think it's dangerous um, to say like, oh, my show is a safe place for this kind of person to watch and feel safe. I don't think that's, that's correct because... I think then, you know, there could be something on my show that triggers that person. Like, you just don't know. Making any kind of media that's, you know, put out at this scale is like, it's, you know, it's a minefield. I don't know what's going to upset the audience, but I I try to be careful about what we're putting out there. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think of myself as an entertainer and telling stories. I think anything beyond that, I don't want to really be responsible for, but I am interested in in mental health and I'm interested in representing it in a way that I haven't really seen in an adult animated comedy before. And in what way is that? (laughs) Uh, I just haven't seen some of these perspectives before, some of these specific stories, Um, you know, like the story about Birdie's assault felt very personal to me and a lot of the other people who worked on it. You know, I don't want it to be like, this is a very special episode. Like, it's still like, a you know, there's a lot going on in it that's really fun and, and beautiful. And yeah, I just, I like it as a story. Two more questions about the show. One, I always see your name in the credits at the end of an episode as being one of the voices of the show. But who, <laughs> who are you? What what kind of characters have you voiced and why those characters? Um, the biggest care, whenever I do a character on the show, I always regret it later. I'm like, why did I, why did I do that? I thought it would be fun. And now I have to hear my own voice in the edit bay, like over and over again. And I should have just picked like a real voice actor because I'm not very good at it. Uh Um, and it does, 
it is a specific skill, but I, I do voice HR lady. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just like what we were um, talking about. Helen Regina lady. Uh, and then I, I, I do a lot of like little bit things. Like I'll do sex bugs, um, sex bags, like I'll do some of those. And what else do I do? Uh, yeah, sometimes if there's just like one quick thing that we need, I'll do it. Mm. My second question is, can you please explain the sex bugs? Yeah, sometimes in this job, I find myself asking questions that I've never asked anyone. Like, can you please explain the sex bugs? Lisa Hannawalt's answer in just a moment. Are you feeling elevated levels of anxiety? Do you quake uncontrollably, even thinking about watching cable news? Do you have disturbing nightmares, only to realize it's two in the afternoon and you're up? If you've experienced one or more of these symptoms, you may have FNO, news overload. Fortunately, there's treatment. Hi, I'm Dave Holmes, host of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters helps fight FNO. That's because Troubled Waters stimulates your joy zone. On Troubled Waters, two comedians will battle one another for pop culture supremacy. So join me, Dave Holmes, for two, two, two doses of Troubled Waters a month. The cure for your news overload. Available on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Does our podcast deep dive into the weirdest Wikipedia pages we can find? Yes. Do we learn about scam artists, remote islands, horrible mascots, beautiful diseases, and mythical monsters? Yes, 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 absolutely, and yes. Do we retain any of this knowledge? Eh, probably not. I'm Emily Heller. I'm Lisa Hannawalt. We make art and comedy and TV shows and also the podcast Baby Geniuses. For the past eight years, we've been trying to learn new things about the world and each other every episode. But let's be honest, this podcast is mostly about two friends hanging out, shooting the breeze, and making each other laugh. We're horny, we like gardening and horses, and we get real stupid on here. But like, in a smart way. Yeah. Join us every other week on Maximum Fun. Baby Geniuses, tell us something we don't know. Back with Lisa Hannawalt, creator of Tuca and Birdie. At this point, I've asked Lisa to explain these weird creatures on that show, the sex bugs. Here's a clip first. I think they came from like a dream I had uh, a long time ago, like 15 years ago. And I started putting them in some of my comics. And then um, I showed them like doing a concert. And I think Raphael, yeah, Raphael like improvised this song that they sung. Like, we know that we discussed you with our inside outside hugs. We're the sex bugs, sex bugs. Um, <laughs> so they just kind of, yeah. Just developed that way. And, and what, yeah. And, what, what is their they? thing on the show? <laughs> are they just? What is their thing? Are they interested in sex? Do they make sex happen in others? What is the? That's kind of their whole thing. Is they're they're really horny bugs and they're kind of gross, but like Tuca likes them because they're sort of normalizing being horny and like destigmatizing um, venereal disease. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're the sex bugs. 
they're the sex bugs. Maybe that's it's, all you need to know is just don't don't worry too much yeah. about it. I guess <laughs> don't go too deep on on characters called the sex bugs. I'm yeah. sorry, I spent a long time in public radio, so I I look for the. <laughs> It's deeper meanings, or maybe I should. It's funny. There's a lot of stuff I make that I don't think that carefully about, and then people, when they have like a real like, whoa, wait, what? How is there a plant person walking around? I'm just like, oh, I didn't think that much about it. I just kind of made it. Yeah. <laughs> I think the way I my mind works when I'm making art is like pretty fluid, and like you know, I'm not thinking of those sort of boundaries. Do you ever need to deliberately try to? loosen up that creative brain or does it just is it always like that is it always available to to really go all out yeah I do because I I think um sometimes when I'm in the room and I'm thinking of like okay what is the story for this episode that's where I always start like what is this episode about Mm -hmm. like what am I interested in saying here? And then um, sometimes at some point, Raphael will be like, well, what about, how do we make this like more to Gumberti-ish? Like what's the weird surreal aspect of this? And I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. We need to like, (laughs) we can dress it up as, as, you know, I mean, I, I love coming up with like strange visual metaphors, like, like Birdie turning into a haunted house was something that came out of my own diary comics where I'm like, when I was depressed, I felt like a haunted house, you know, it feels like a cavernous you know, structure that you're not, you're haunting, you're not fully inhabiting. Mm. That's the only way I can really describe it. So that felt like something that belonged in the show. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I love that one a lot. You you say that you don't like uh, listening back to your, to your own voice on some of these things. <laughs> and, and again, I've, I've been in radio and podcasting for, for literally decades. I'm still not used to it. I don't think it happens. I don't think anybody ever really does. Do you go? Yeah, it's kind of embarrassing. I mean, I it's weird because I do listen to my own podcast um, just to check for in case I said anything really stupid that I want to edit out. Um, right. And I, I don't mind it really, um, but yeah, I mean, it is it does come with a fair amount of cringe. Yeah. Do you look back at your old drawings, you know, your 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 books, your comics, that kind of thing? I try not to because, um, again, I'm sort of like, oh, that's in the past. I've moved on now. I don't need to look back at that stuff. But then uh, on occasion, when I flip through it, I'll go, oh, this isn't so bad. Oh, really? <laughs> there's actually there's some decent stuff in here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I would have done that differently. Or, oof, this one is not so good. Why did I put that in there? You know, I mean, but overall, I'm like, ah, not not too terrible. Yeah, but, but you're apprehensive because you think you're going to hate it and then you routinely oh, go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm going to be like really embarrassed by what I put out there in the past. And there's definitely things I would change. Like, you know, my work is not perfect by any means. I want to ask about Baby Geniuses, which is your podcast on the Maximum Fun Network, where where we are our cohorts. Hey. Are we colleagues? Are we teammates? We're something like that. <laughs> Explain to people who haven't heard it what, what Baby Geniuses is all about. Uh, It's co-hosted by me and my friend Emily Heller, who's a very funny comedian. And uh, it was like loosely knowledge-based where we were going to like learn things on every episode and like explore a different Wikipedia page, you know, but it it became more about us just sort of chatting. Uh Um, And we created a lot of really strange segments. Like we have one where we uh, discuss any news about Martha Stewart's pony. She has a pony named Ben Chunch. Uh-huh. And it kind of turned into a, like a generic like celebrity horse news or Martha Stewart, you know, kind of segment. But it's very funny, in my opinion. Uh, we have a lot of fun. Yeah. What does that give you for your mind that your other work doesn't give you? I think it's good to have a regular practice in, 
you know, kind of condensing my thoughts uh, for entertainment purposes and putting them out as like kind of, you know, in a bitty way where it's like, okay, I'm having this, I had this experience. What's the, what's an entertaining way that I can talk about this in a podcast format and broadcast it. And it's helped me, you know, deal with my like, you know, fear of speaking publicly and, and putting stuff out there that's not perfect, you know, I do always have that worry that like, cause I put my foot in my mouth so much and I say so many stupid things. Um, I always worry I'll say something that will offend our, our listeners and then they'll all yell at me. Uh, and that has happened, but it's not that bad. It's, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I survived. I think that's, that's an important thing to go through. So last year in 2020, I, I had a book coming out that was all about depression. And one of the events I was going to do that got, that got thwarted because of COVID was, um, we found this petting zoo that had baby Ooh. animals and miniature horses. And I was going to bring them all to this event, surround myself with them, and then talk about major depressive disorder. Oh. <laughs> um, because I, It's really funny. I really wanted to see what it would do. What do you think it is about, about seeing animals saying something that that makes the message sink in, in a different way, in a deeper way, whatever way that, that wouldn't happen with people. Like if you did a show called Tuca and Birdie about two friends, two humans walking around, how, what makes it different? Well, I think when you have humans on screen, people have come to, to those humans with preconceived notions about those particular people who look that particular way. Like, you know, faces, we're so attuned to different human faces that when you see one, you're like, oh, they remind me of my best friend from second grade, or they remind me of my mom or whatever. But when you see like a bird face, you're not coming to it with any, you know, unless you particularly hate or love birds. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> like, yeah, if you see a horse face, like it's just a little bit more um, generic or something or, or universal. So you can kind of project more onto them or, or, you know, people are more open to learning about who that character actually is or something like that. I don't know. That's my theory. Yeah. Well, also, too, you can forget who's playing that character. Like if you I mean, I just saw an episode of your show with Jane Lynch and my wife recognized Jane Lynch's voice. I didn't. To me, I was just buying into this idea of this really buff P.E. coach that. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I didn't mean, say, you, you... oh, there's Jane Lynch doing her Jane Lynch things. Yeah, you can kind of, um, you know, lose yourself in the characters and forget that they're being voiced by, by humans sometimes, I think. Two more short questions that are very open-ended and vague mm -hmm. and possibly difficult. And then we're uh -oh. all done. So is depression funny? I think everything's funny. Um, I mean, I use humor as a way to deal with difficult things. It's like my immediate go-to. Um, and I do it to relieve others of the burden of feeling bad for me. I do it to lighten the mood when people are sad. Um, you know, I'm I'm like a clown person. I'm a jack-o'-lantern. So, uh, and that's just who I am. And it's sometimes not appropriate for the situation, but that's just my go-to. So yeah, I think I think depression can be funny. Is anxiety funny? Of course. Anxiety is very funny. Okay. It's really funny because it's like 
you'll see something like a spider and that'll make you want to shit your pants. Like, that's funny. <laughs> it's, it's funny to have such a like outrageous reaction to things that aren't actually threatening you. But of course it also sucks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Paul F. Tompkins compared depression to, to being funny in the same way that your appendix is funny, which is like, <laughs> here's this thing in your body that does nothing except wait to kill you. Yeah, it does nothing. I mean, depression. Yeah, that is true. Like, there's depression no doesn't role. really help. Yeah. It, the only thing I can think of, like, okay, maybe sometimes depression forces me to rest because I'm having such a bad time and I'm so deep in the pit that the only thing I can do is cry and go to bed in the middle of the day. Then, okay, maybe I needed a rest. Like, maybe that's my body telling me it's time to to nope out of whatever I'm doing. Yeah. But I can't think of another positive benefit of depression anxiety at least i mean at least anxiety can power you into doing something um if you're not paralyzed with it you know you'd be like oh my god i gotta finish this this script or else everyone will know i'm a failure like i mean that can <laughs> it's it's a it's a balancing act between that and complete paralysis but you know yeah all that stands in the way between me being exposed <laughs> as the fraud that i have always been and, yeah. and getting away with it is turning in this thing at this time. This one terrible draft that will surely <laughs> uh, be canceled for. I mean, yeah, I, imposter syndrome is so boring. And yet, I mean, I definitely have it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and so common. I mean, there's... So common. Yeah. It's really basic, honestly. <laughs> it really is. It re well, it's embarrassing. And I think it can be more scary, though, if you if you deal with like a clinical level of depression or anxiety because it's much more of an existential threat. Like every, oh, it's awful. everybody feels like, Oh, I, you know, I'm, I don't belong here, but, but people like us are like, Oh shit, I really don't belong here. Yeah. And if it's so bad that it's stopping you from even making anything at all, or even trying to do anything you want to do, that's really bad. I mean, I think it helps to know that everyone kind of feels that way. Everyone I know, at least all my friends. Um, and so, yeah, it's like, okay, you feel bad. And then you just kind of go through it. You know, you just wade through that sticky mud that's up to your neck. <laughs> Cause there's what's the, what's the alternative? Like, yeah, yeah. It's all, it's all you got. Lisa Hannawalt, thank you for the work you're doing. I think it is helping people live better lives. And thanks for being oh, on the that's show. Very, that's, that's the most I could ever hope for. Thank you so much for saying so. That's Lisa Hannawalt, creator of Tuca and Birdie. Watch that show and go watch BoJack Horseman. And listen to Lisa's podcast, Baby Geniuses, here on the Maximum Fun Network. And listen to this podcast, too. Keep listening to it. I am full of demands of your time. But these are good ideas. Next time on Depression Mode, meditation is good. It can improve your mental health, bring you more peace. It can reduce stress. You should try it. Of course, trying it means getting past meditation's image problem. If you just do a search and there are publications around meditation in the past 20, 30 years. All of the images that they have are oftentimes white women in particular clothing and particular postures that have a particular type of angelic, ethereal look to them. That is one of the things that in our clinic practice we actually have to help deconstruct because oftentimes the barrier to many people, especially if they're depressed, is that do I need to look like this in order to do this? A look deep inside 
at meditation, what it is and what it isn't, from an instructor and a doctor. If people support our show through a small donation, we will continue to exist. If not, we won't. If you donate, you make Depression Mode happen, and we thank you. If you haven't donated, oh man, it's so easy. You can easily find a level that works for you at MaximumFun.org join. Also, give our sponsors a shot. Use those discount codes that they offer that I keep mentioning. Sponsors keep an eye on that information. And you're getting good stuff cheaper, and you're helping the show. We love it when you recommend Depression Mode to friends. Something that really matters a lot is when you hit subscribe, you give us five stars, you write reviews. All of that helps more people find out about the show, which helps our mission of getting those conversations going. Please know that the Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available 24-7 for free at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-TALK. The Crisis Text Line, also free and always available, text the word HOME to 741741. Be sure to let us know who you want me to interview, what issues you want to hear more about, your thoughts on the show. Just send us an electric mail. Our electric mail address is depressmode at maximumfun.org. If you're on Facebook, look up our mental health discussion group, Preshies. Great talk going on over there. I stop by sometimes and join in the conversation. We're on Twitter and Instagram at DepressPod. Our Depression Mode newsletter is available on Substack. Search it up. I'm on Twitter at John Moe. Oh, hello, credits listeners. When I was a college student in Walla Walla, Washington, I had occasion to travel through Germany, and I checked into a youth hostel in Baden-Baden, Germany. Why? Because going from Walla Walla to Baden-Baden was funny. I had a marvelous time. Great town. Depression Mode is produced by Gabe Mara. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. Rhett Miller wrote and performed our theme song, Building Wings. I'm always falling off of cliffs now Building wings on the way down I am figuring things out Building wings, building wings, building wings No one knows the reason Maybe there's no reason I just keep believing No one knows the answer Maybe there's no answer Hey Preshies, this is Cynthia from Boston telling you to make that appointment. Whether it's therapy or meds, the help you need is out there. It's just waiting for you. Go get some. Depression Mode is a production of Maximum Fun and Papa Chick. I'm John Moe. Bye now. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.